0: Chapter 6, Part 2 of The Commentaries on the Laws of England, Book 2, by William Blackstone. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Roy Haynes. Of the Modern English Tenures, Part 2. Having thus distributed and distinguished the several species of tenure in free sockage, I proceed next to show that this also partakes very strongly of the feudal nature, which may probably arise from its ancient Saxon original, since, as was before observed, feuds were not unknown among the Saxons, though they did not form a part of their military policy, nor were drawn out into such arbitrary consequences as among the Normans. It seems therefore reasonable to imagine that Sockage tenure existed in much the same state before the conquest as after, that in Kent it was preserved with a high hand, as our histories inform us it was, and that the rest of the socage tenures differed through England escaped the general fate of other property partly out of favour and affection to their particular owners, and partly from their own insignificance. Since I do not apprehend the number of sockage tenures soon after the conquest to have been very considerable, nor their value by any means large, till, by successive charters of enfranchisement granted to the tenants, which are particularly mentioned by Britain their number and value began to swell so far as to make a distinct and justly envied part of our English system of tenures. However this may be, the tokens of their feudal original will evidently appear from a short comparison of the incidents and consequences of sockage tenure with those of tenure in chivalry, remarking their agreement or difference as we go along. 1. In the first place, then both were held by superior lords, of the king as Lord Paramount, and sometimes of a subject or mean lord between the king and the tenant. 2. Both were subject to the feudal return, render, rent, or service, or some sort or other, which arose from a supposition of an original grant from the lord to the tenant. In the military tenure, or more proper feud, this was from its nature uncertain. In Sockage, which was a feud of the improper kind, it was certain, fixed, and determinate, though perhaps nothing more than bare fealty, and so continues to this day. 3. Both were, from their constitution, universally subject, over and above all other render, to the oath of fealty or mutual bond of obligation between the Lord and tenant, which oath of fealty usually draws after it, suit to the Lord's court. This oath, every Lord, of whom tenements are holden at this day, may and ought to call upon his tenants to take in his court baron, if it be only for the reason given by Littleton, that if it be neglected, it will by long continuance of time grow out of memory as doubtless it frequently has, whether the land be holden of the Lord or not, and so he may lose his seigniory and the profit which may accrue to him by his and other contingencies. 4. The tenure in socage was subject of common right to aids for knighting the son and marrying the eldest daughter, which were fixed by the statute Westminster 1C36 at 20 shillings for every 20 pounds per annum so held, as in night service. These aids, as a tenure by chivalry, were originally mere benevolences, though afterwards claimed as a matter of right, but were all abolished by the Statute 12, Charles II. 5. Relief is due upon sockage tenure, as well as upon tenure in chivalry, but the manner of taking it is very different. The relief on a knight's fee was five pounds or one quarter of the supposed value of the land. But a sockage relief is one year's rent or render payable by the tenant to the lord, be the same either great or small. And therefore, Bracton will not allow this to be properly a relief, but praedam questatia loco, velavi in recognition in domini. So, too. The Statute 28, Edward I C one, declares that a free soakman shall give no relief, but shall double his rent after the death of his ancestor, according to that which he hath used to pay his lord, and shall not be grieved above measure. Reliefs in night service were only payable if the heir at the death of his ancestor was of full age, but in sockage, they were due even though the heir was under age, because the Lord has no wardship over him. The statute of Charles II reserves the reliefs incident to Sockage tenures, and therefore, wherever lands in fee simple are holden by a rent, relief is still due of common right upon the death of the tenant. 6. For mere Sizin was incident to the king's Sockage tenants in Capite, as well as those by night service, but tenancy in capite, as well as premier sizings, are also, among the other feudal burdens, entirely abolished by the statute. 7. wardship is also incident to tenure in sockage, but of a nature very different from that incident to night service. For if the inheritance descend to an infant under fourteen, the wardship of him shall not belong to the lord of the fee. Because in this tenure, no military or other personal service being required, there is no occasion for the lord to take the profits in order to provide a proper substitute for his infant tenant but his nearest relation, to whom the inheritance cannot descend, shall be his guardian in sockage and have the custody of his land and body till he arrives at the age of fourteen. The guardian must be such a one to whom the inheritance by no possibility can descend, as was fully explained together with the reasons for it in the former book of these commentaries. At fourteen, this wardship in Sockage ceases, and the heir may oust the guardian and call him to account for the rents and profits, for at this age the law supposes him capable of choosing a guardian for himself. It was in this particular of wardship, as also in that of marriage, and in the certainty of the render or service, that the Sockage tenures had so much the advantage of the military ones. But as the wardship ceased at fourteen, there was this disadvantage attending it, that young heirs, being left at so tender an age to choose their own guardians till twenty-one, they might make an improvident choice. Therefore, when almost all the lands of the kingdom were turned into socket tenures, the same statute, twelve Charles II, c. twenty-four enacted that it should be in the power of any father by will to appoint a guardian till his child should attain the age of twenty-one. And if no such appointment be made, the court of chancery will frequently interpose to prevent an infant heir from improvidently exposing himself to ruin. 8. Marriage, or the Valor Maritagi, was not in Sockage Tenure any perquisite or advantage to the guardian, but rather the reverse. For if the guardian married his ward under the age of fourteen, he was bound to account to the ward for the value of the marriage even though he took nothing for it unless he married him to advantage. For the law, in favor of infants, is always jealous of guardians, and therefore, in this case, it made them account not only for what they did, but also for what they might receive on the infant's behalf, lest by some collusion the guardian should have received the value and not brought it to account. But the statute, having destroyed all values of marriages, this doctrine, of course, hath ceased with them. At fourteen years of age the ward might have disposed of himself in marriage without any consent of his guardian. Till the late Act for Preventing Clandestine Marriages. These doctrines of wardship and marriage in sockage tenure were so diametrically opposite to those in knight service, and so entirely agree with those parts of King Edward's laws, that they were restored by Henry I's charter, as might alone convince us that sockage was of a higher original than the Norman conquest. 9. Fines for alienations were, I apprehend, due for lands holding of the king in capite by socage tenure as well as in case of tenure by night service. For the statutes that relate to this point and Sir Edward Coke's comment on them speaks generally of all tenants in capite without making any distinction, though now all fines for alienation are demolished by the statute of Charles II. 10. Eschets are equally incident to tenure and sockage as they were to tenure by night service, except only in Gavokine lands, which are, as before mentioned, subject to no Eschets for felony, though they are to Eschets for want of heirs. Thus much for the two granted species of tenure, under which almost all the free lands of the kingdom were holden till the Restoration in 1660, when the former was abolished and sunk into the latter, so that lands of both sorts are now holden by the one universal tenure of free and common sockage. The other grand division of tenure, mentioned by Bracton, as cited in the preceding chapter, is that of villainage as contradistinguished from liberum tenementum or frank tenure. And this, we may remember, he subdivides into two classes pure and privileged villainage, from whence have arisen two other species of our modern tenures. From the tenure of pure villainage have sprung our present copyhold tenures, or tenure by copy of court roll, at the will of the Lord, in order to obtain a clear idea of which it will be previously necessary to take a short view of the original and nature of manners. Manners are, in substance, as ancient as the Saxon constitution, though perhaps differing a little in some immaterial circumstances from those that exist at this day. Just as we observed of feuds that they were partly known to our ancestors even before the Norman Conquest, a manor, manarium amenendo, because the usual residence of the owner seems to have been a district of ground held by lords or great personages who kept in their own hands so much land as was necessary for the use of their families, which were called terre dominicales or domine lands, being occupied by the Lord or dominus manere and his servants. The other tenemental lands they distributed among their tenants, which from the different modes of tenure were called and distinguished by two different names. First, bookland or charter land which was held by deed under certain rents and free services and, in effect, differed nothing from free sockage lands. And from hence have arisen all the freehold tenants which hold of particular manners and owe suit and service to the same. The other species was called folkland, which was held by no assurance in writing, but distributed among the common folk or people at the pleasure of the Lord, and resumed at his discretion, being indeed land held in villainage, which we shall presently describe more at large. The residue of the manor, being uncultivated, was termed the Lord's waste, and served for public roads, and for common of pasture to the Lord and his tenants." Manners were formerly called baronies as they still are lordships, and each lord or baron was empowered to hold a domestic court called the court baron for redressing misdemeanors and nuances within the manor and for settling disputes of property among the tenants. This court is an inseparable ingredient of every manor, and if the number of suitors should so fail as not to leave sufficient to make a jury or homage that is, two tenants at the least, the manor itself is lost. Before the statute of Kia M. Torres, 18 Edward I, the king's greater barons, who had a large extent of territory held under the crown, granted out frequently smaller manors to inferior persons to be held of themselves, which do therefore now continue to be held under a superior lord, who is called in such cases the lord paramount over all these manners and his seigniory is frequently termed an honour not a manner especially if it hath belonged to an ancient feudal baron or hath been at any time in the hands of the crown in imitation whereof these inferior lords began to carve out and grant to other still more minute states to be held as of themselves and were so proceeding downwards in infinitum till the superior lords observed that by this method of sub infudation they lost all their feudal profits of wardships, marriages, and ashets, which fell into the hands of these mean or middle lords, who were the immediate superiors of the terra-tenant, or him who occupied the land. This occasioned the statute of Westminster three, or Chia M. Torres, 18. Edward I. to be made, which directs, that upon all sales or fiefments of land, the fee-fee shall hold the same, not of his immediate fee-for, but of the chief lord of the fee, of whom such fee-for himself held it. And from hence it is held, that all manner existing at this day must have existed by immemorial prescription or at least ever since the 18th Edward I, when the statute of Kia Imtades was made. For no new manner can have been created since that statute, because it is essential to a manner that there be tenants who hold of the Lord, and that statute enacts that for the future no subject shall create any new tenants to hold of himself. Now with regard to the folkland, or estates held in villainage, this was a species of tenure neither strictly feudal, Norman, or Saxon, but mixed and compounded of them all, and which also, on account of the Harriots that usually attend it, may seem to have somewhat Danish in its composition. Under the Saxon government there were, as Sir William Temple speaks, A sort of people in a condition of downright servitude, used and employed in the most servile works and belonging, both they, their children, and effects, to the lord of the soil, like the rest of the cattle or stock upon it. These seem to have been those who held what was called folkland, from which they were removable at the lord's pleasure. On the arrival of the Normans here, it seems not improbable, that they, who were strangers to any other than a feudal state, might give some sparks of enfranchisement to such wretched persons as fell to their share by admitting them, as well as others, to the oath of fealty, which conferred a right of protection and raised the tenant to a kind of estate superior to downright slavery, but inferior to every other condition. This they called. Villainage and the tenants, villains, either from the word vilis, or else, as Sir Edward Coke tells us, a villa, because they lived chiefly in villages and were employed in rustic works of the most sordid kind, like the Spartan pelotes, to whom alone the culture of the lands was consigned, their rugged masters like our northern ancestors, esteeming war the only honourable employment of mankind. These villains, belonging principally to lords of manners, were either villains regardant, that is, annexed to the manor or land, or else they were in gross, or at large, that is, annexed to the person of the Lord, and transferable by deed from one owner to another they could not leave their lord without his permission. But if they ran away, or were purloined from him, might be claimed and recovered by action like beasts or other chattels. They held indeed small portions of land by way of sustaining themselves and families. But it was at the mere will of the lord, who might dispossess them whenever he pleased, and it was upon villain services, that is, to carry out dung, hedge and ditch the Lord's demeans, and any other the meanest offices, and these services were not only base but uncertain both as to their time and quantity. A villain, in short, was much in the same state with us, as Lord Molesworth describes to be that of the Boers in Denmark, and Steyrhoek attributes to the Traus, or slaves, in Sweden which confirms the probability of there being in some degree monuments of the Danish tyranny. A villain could acquire no property either in lands or goods, but if he purchased either, the Lord might enter upon them, oust the villain, and seize them to his own use, unless he contrived to dispose of them again before the Lord had seized them, for the Lord had then lost his opportunity." In many places also a fine was payable to the Lord if the villain presumed to marry his daughter to anyone without leave from the Lord, and, by the common law, the Lord might also bring an action against the husband for damages in thus purloining his property. For the children of villains were also in the same state of bondage with their parents, whence they were called, in Latin, nativi, which gave rise to the female appellation of a villain who was called a naif. In case of a marriage between a freeman and a naif, or a villain and a free woman, the issue followed the condition of the father being free if he was free and villain if he was villain. Contrary to the maxim of civil law that parta sequitur ventrem, but no bastard could be born a villain because by another maxim of law he is Nullius Filius, and as he can gain nothing by inheritance, it were hard that he should lose his natural freedom by it. The law, however, protected the persons of villains as the king's subjects against atrocious injuries of the Lord, for he might not kill or maim his villain. Though he might beat him with impunity, since the villain had no action or remedy at law against his lord, but in case of the murder of his ancestor or the maim of his own person. Nafes, indeed, had also an appeal of rape, in case the lord violated them by force. End of chapter six. Part two.